I'm Kate Firth Butterfield at the World Economic Forum. And I'm Miriam Vogel with Equal AI. And this is In AI We Trust. Hello, Kay. So nice to see you. Great to see you too, Miriam. It's uh, been a big week for us at the, at the forum because we have just released the C-Suite Toolkit. And um, that's a very large document. It's over 100 pages. And we're um, hoping that members of the C-Suite will pick it up and find out how to really think about responsible AI in their vertical. So, yeah, it's been a fun week for us. I saw that. What a significant body of work that is. It must have taken so much time, given from what I saw, uh, the many different pieces you weave into one central document. It looks like it's both very helpful in, in establishing the concepts, but also very practical. Uh, it would, are there some highlights you'd like to share from this very comprehensive report? Well, I think... Um, the main highlight is uh, we don't think about principles, we think about practice. So people who pick up this document will be able to find useful tools that they can apply. Um, and I think the other thing is just the sheer number of experts who have contributed their time and effort to this um, piece of work. So from our fellows from Saudi Aramco and uh, INSEAD, so very different fellows with very different perspectives, um, to some of our um, businesses who also have, have contributed freely of their time and skills. So it's, it's a, I'm reminded of, you know, a man for all seasons. It's a piece of work for all seasons and everybody who's interested in responsible AI. Well, congratulations on that significant work. Uh, likewise, I had a, a, a sigh of relief publishing a paper that we'd been working on, much less significant and comprehensive, but I had the really wonderful opportunity to work with Bob Eccles, who's one of the founders of the ESG movement, talking about why responsible AI needs to be something that board members think about, uh, both because of the tremendous impact they can have in making sure that companies do this well, and if done right, open up broader audiences and, and make better AI. Um, but on the flip side, if not, if they don't think of these uh, important pieces in their governance program, um, there's going to be liabilities. It's a potential violation of their fiduciary duty. And, and so uh, it was really fun and exciting to put that out in the world and, and to be getting some great feedback um, into this other audience that plays a key role in ensuring responsible AI governance. Yeah, it's one of the reasons that I love working with you, Miriam, because we think so, so alike. And, you know, we at the forum did create a, board, a toolkit for boards, and that's a couple of years old now. So it's wonderful that you're continuing to um, have this outreach for boards, because as you say, it's not only important for boards to understand because of the fiduciary duty, but also because they have influence and they really can help companies do what's right. 
Absolutely. And and I think you raise another interesting point, which is, first of all, how much fun it is to work with you, given that we have such similar mindsets and almost seem to finish each other's sentences in terms of talking about priorities and, and ways that we think about this work. But I also think it is in part based on the fact that a lot of what we're talking about here with responsible AI governance is not rocket science. It is good, practical, grounded principles in earlier discussions of, of good governance um, in legal foundations. We both have that legal lens we bring to the discussion. And as a lawyer, you know you need to have these safeguards in place with any innovation. AI is just one of the many ways in the past decades and centuries that um, we need to make sure that we are safeguarding, ensuring that we are doing it responsibly and make sure that we're, we're making it as good as it can be. So that balance um, through the lens of responsibility governance. Uh, and so one of the reasons I'm excited to have this conversation with you and Magna today, where Magna at Verizon uh, has a very practical lens as well. She brings this experience as a longtime uh, experienced AI practitioner uh, and also someone who is so committed to inclusivity. So I think that we'll get a lot out of the conversation, uh, both in her deep experience in this realm and, and also what she's doing at Verizon to, similar to what we're talking about, implement these very practical tools that uh, you would want someone to think through when doing, whether it's engineering of a car, a computer, or an AI program. Certainly, I'm really looking forward to it. Let's jump in. Today, we are so pleased to be joined by Meghna Sinha. Meghna is the Vice President of Artificial Intelligence and Data at Verizon's AI Center, which is working to shape the future of communications while building highly scalable, resilient AI designed for an inclusive and transparent world. Before joining Verizon, Meghna was Target's Vice President of Data Sciences, and before that, she was at Target, IRI, and ConAgra Food. She has advanced degrees in statistics with a focus on qualitative analysis and is a leader in the responsible AI movement. We are so pleased to have you on our show today, Meghna. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Can you tell us a little bit more about how your career led you to be so interested in responsible AI? Absolutely. As, as, as you just described, my whole life has been about numbers and patterns. Um, I, I, I am naturally just drawn to that. That's what led me to studying statistics in undergrad and masters and uh, moving into the career of data sciences for over 23 years. What numbers and patterns do is it gives you the tools to make predictions. And honestly, you know, predictions isn't something that just data scientists do. You and I are doing that all the time. We wake up in the morning and we think, will I be, well, pre-COVID at least, will I make it to work on time? Um, will this thing happen? We're constantly using all the signals that we have in our mind and we're constantly making these computations. Uh, data scientists are generally just doing it with code and mathematical models, right? Um, so if you think about that, these predictions have profound imp imp implication on every decision that you're making in your life. In a business context where I have done most of my work, um, these has even bigger context because the big business impacts a large uh, population of people who are interacting with that business. And it ultimately impacts society and also the planet. So when you think about what numbers can do, what decisioning can do, 
um, it's very simple to me. It's like it's, it impacts our society. It impacts our, our environment. And it has to be done responsibly. We have to be aware of that. It's not just uh, a formula that you plugged in and you just think about it from a math perspective. And I always say that I think of uh, data scientist jobs similar to medical practitioners where it, there's a lot of science involved in new ways of doing surgery, new medicines, new researches, but ultimately it should improve human lives. It should save human lives. It should make life better. Uh, and it's the same for AI. That's my belief. It's certainly music to our ears because, you know, we're too very keen on getting AI right and thinking about responsible AI. So um, what is the Verizon Center for AI? Why was it created and what are you hoping to achieve out of it? Yeah, that's, that's a fantastic question. So at Verizon, the mission for our AI Center, that's the organization that I lead and run, is to pave the Verizon's AI path to value with high quality, large throughput AI delivery that sets new and better standards for responsibility and transparency in, in the telco industry. It is critical to have the right, the best talent and culture to make this happen. So that's that's how we think about our AI center mission. Wonderful. And, and one thing we saw that you released recently was a white paper entitled The Human Connection technology for better customer experience. When you're looking at the customer's views on the roles humans and machines will play in our increasingly automated world. It would be so interesting to hear from you some of the key findings, how that's influenced your work. What are some lessons learned and insights that we all can learn from? Yeah, so um, first, I, I wasn't, this, this wasn't a paper that I worked on or you know it was done by a different group. But the findings from the paper are are fairly universal, right? Like I agree with where we're headed, as I shared with you, like it's like it's that's the, we have to think about AI assisting humans. And, and that's the lens we've always used at Verizon. What we are doing uh, from an AI center perspective is how do you do this at our scale? Uh, we use AI for so many decisions across the company. Uh, so we are looking for what are the systematic standards what are the tools that we are going to use to make sure that we have proactive mitigation of these kind of biases before they become harmful? Um, and at the scale, like I said, like we we don't just have 10, 15, hundreds of models. We are in the in the realm of thousands of models being used in so many decisions across the company. And these are different types of algorithms that are used for different decision making. So um, I'm, I'm going beyond the paper, but our focus is how do you do this at that industrial scale um, and think about the tools and the governance mechanism. Brings us to what projects are you currently working on at the centre and give us uh, some use cases uh, to explain what you've just been um, talking about. Yeah, absolutely. So it's a, it, it's a vast list of things we do um, and I, I kind of was touching on it. So let's let me just go deeper is um, the AI organization, so because there is a lot of confusion in the industry on what is AI and what, what qualifies. Um, so just let me start with any modeling, so any kind of statistical modeling. So these are your classic churn prediction models, propensity scoring, those kind of modelings uh, that have been, these are mature areas of modeling. Uh, our AI scope is the broad uh, use of the term. Any machine learning applications like the recommender algorithms, um, any any kind of forecasting and optimization solutions, um, that is part of our scope. Uh, 
Um, and then obviously the forefront of AI is more of those deep learning neural network based modeling, uh, computer vision uh, applications and things like that, that is also done by this organizations. So as you can think, the portfolio of the techniques and the range of uh, the solution that we cover is very broad. We work with Verizon's consumer and business group. Uh, these are the two customer facing part of the organizations. And there are a number of solutions. So personalization uh, rec uh, systems. So making sure that people are getting the right promotion offers or the right experiences when they are working with uh, on our uh, they're, they're on our sites or apps. We do a lot of segmentation modeling. I just mentioned churn, propensity, those kind of work. Uh, we do a ton of forecasting and optimization work. We, uh, we are using NLP in a big way in our call center and uh, computer vision modeling to understand all our cell towers and make sure that we have, uh, uh, we can use images instead of like actual visit to do analysis of, uh, um, of, the, of our cell sites. We also are uh, in the early days of developing digital twin um, of our assets and just real quick digital twin uh, if, if you've not heard if folks have not heard the term is that it's not a new concept it's it's been around uh, it was uh, it was started by NASA um, but uh, it's it's gained a lot of more traction in the future state of metaverse and things like that it's when you create a digital representation of a physical asset and you can use that digital representation to do a lot more what ifs so in industrial terms, it's it's great for predictive maintenance, but it, it is also going to become highly relevant in the future where the digital world and the physical world are constantly get, going to get intermingled and people are going to move uh, from one and go to the other. So we've been investing a lot in the digital twin technology as well in the AI center. Thank you for that glimpse into some of the exciting things you have going on. And also it's really interesting as we talk to you to learn from the scale at which you're operating. You know, it's it's so interesting to think that given the size of your organization, your employees, let alone the millions of customers that you're having to think through your AI use, uh, I imagine it's a great weight to think through uh, and, and realize how many people can be affected by your work, your policies, your actions. Um, and as you know, uh, something we often think about on our show, and I know you do a lot, is the risks. Um, so thank you for walking us through some of the use cases. Can you also share with us what are some of the risks that you are seeking to avoid when you're modeling, when you're thinking through um, how to ensure that you can be proactive and, and you want to mitigate some of these harms that you're envisioning? What, what do those look like and, and what kind of proactive measures are you taking? Yeah. No, that's, that's, that's a fantastic question. And you're right. I think about this one a lot. I, I've been saying it for a while. Data is the eyes and ears of technology. Uh, and we, we will continue to go deeper and deeper into a world that's powered by technology. So it's, it's really important that as technology grows and it becomes an uh, integrated part of our lives. Uh, and we, as I mentioned, like in this future state of metaverses where we are constantly moving in and out of digital and physical world, uh, we design these with responsibility in mind. So um, at Verizon, let me describe where we are at. Uh, we, um, you know, even though uh, the AI center is fairly new, it's about a year and a half, building models, you know, like I said, like predicting customer churn or understanding who has a propensity for what kind of products and services 
is not new. We've been doing that for years. And, uh, and as we were building those foundations, we actually were very intentional about making sure that we had the right kind of uh, partnership with our legal teams, with our audit teams, um, uh, compliance teams, so privacy teams. So we have partners um, that are a, a key part of our model review process. Um, now, if you're doing 10 of these, you can literally sit down and review every single one of them. So we have that practice and discipline. And even today, every time, uh, you know, we have a playbook that we use that if something changes, then that has to go through an, a legal review. Um, what we are at the precipice of is that if we, if we go to 100x of this type of decisioning and algorithm, how do you do this in the same proactive, responsible way that we've been able to do for the last five, seven, 10 years? So that's really the challenge that I'm facing right now. And that's why I've actually stood up a, a team that's focused on responsible AI. We've been doing a lot of research first to understand who is doing what, like, you know, just again, like our peer companies looking at what their playbooks look like, talking to companies. Um, we, we've, uh, we've been uh, actually, we joined the Equal AI program to, to learn how we do this. Um, and we've been building our playbook uh, to figure out like how does this sustain in the future where edge compute is going to be um, very common. There's going to be distributed AI everywhere. There's going to be IoT devices with inferences on the edge. The kind of uh, proactive uh, measures you need for, for those kind of technology doesn't exist or it's very limited. We have to design it and we have to build that. So that's where I'm focused on. Uh, and that's, that's, that's going to, I think, be the next two years for us. To hear, thank you very much. And you know, you said that you had joined the Equal AI Badge Program, and that's all about responsible AI governance and uh, convened in collaboration with us at the World Economic Forum. Um, obviously, we think that that says a lot about you and your priorities as a leader. Um, but we wondered if you could share with our listeners why you decided to join the Badge Program. And what you've got out of the first four of the six sessions that you've attended thus far. Yeah, I'd love to. Um, so as I said, I've been, uh, I've been thinking about, you know, ethical AI, responsible AI bias mitigations for a long time. So it's not like it just started uh, overnight. Um, I've, I've been, you know, like been a huge advocate of data privacy for at least a decade, if not more. Um, so it's 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 kind of it's in my stream of consciousness all the time. Uh, so when when I was starting this job to set up the AI center, I wanted to make sure that there is a focus on responsible AI. This was about two years ago, um, uh, or before even I joined Verizon. I was thinking about this because I was in talks, and I was like, "This is how I want to do this." And so I started doing my research. I met many companies. Uh, you know, there are lots of consultancies that offer responsible AI playbook. And one thing was clear to me that I don't just want, um, you know, like uh, 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 just the, the principles. Uh, it's great, like I'm not trying to undermine people who have principles, but it needs to be actionable. And it needs to be actionable by my scientists and engineers. Uh, they, they need to be able to live with that. Because if you put yourself in a data scientist shoe, it's really, really hard uh, you know, you're building this model, it must work, it, you have to put it in production, you have to support it. And by the way, it should cause no harm to anybody who's going to be impacted by it. It's, it's a huge responsibility. 
So I just felt like they needed support. So I started looking external at who's doing what and came across uh, Matt Miriam in my early days. I, I want to say it was in, when I just first joined Verizon. And I was really impressed by the Equal AI program because the kind of leaders that this program brings together. I, I loved meeting with Kathy O'Neill and hearing about her journey um, and her hearing about, uh, you know, all the different companies that what they're doing. All four, four of the sessions have been extremely thought provoking and they've actually shaped, um, you know, like how to prioritize all the problems that we have to solve because I am listening to people who are further along in this journey and, and able to borrow, you know, from their playbook. Uh, we've, we've, um, We've looked at what Google's doing. We've looked at different companies. Um, so it's 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 extremely valuable. Uh, I'm a big supporter of the program. Well, we are honored and, and so glad to hear that you're getting so much out of it because you've been a really important participant and hearing your perspective and your input has really been such an important part of the community we're building. So thank you for your participation. Thank you kindly for your generous words. Um, and I, I, to change gears a bit and, and to really bring in the diverse perspective that you bring in with the broad mindset that you have towards inclusive AI. Uh, I know that you've been a proponent of diversity in tech. You've been featured in an article entitled Choosing to Break Barriers and have written top tips for women in tech. Uh, by the way, I highly recommend it. Uh, we should put the link in the show notes. Uh, it's a great article, which is both a quick read and also full of great suggestions, tangible ideas you share about uh, what people need to think through, what women need to think through they might not have, and they can learn from your vantage point especially because you've divided it up for, for people in different stages of their career. Um, mm -hmm. I love your line. You don't get what you deserve. You get what you negotiate. You just really change the perspective on um, looking and expecting what's fair as opposed to deciding what's fair and going for it. And, and I think there's just so many insights um, that you're so generous in sharing uh, in that article and in your work. So I'm wondering if you could share with us, how did diversity in tech become such a priority for you? Uh, how did this topic impact you in your career? Uh, and what are some strategies you like to share with other women in the tech space? Yeah, Miriam, thank you for bringing up that top tips uh, uh, for women in tech. I, I wrote that last year, maybe nine months ago, um, in the midst of extreme COVID uh, lockdown. And um, uh, as you mentioned, I, I'll mention the story a little bit is like when I was writing that down, uh, I had this moment, like I want this to just come straight from my heart. And I, 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 I'm just going to say it like I mean it. And that when I, and I didn't think much about it, but I just really wanted it to be very honest, authentic, what I think. And, um, I wrote it in one shot. Usually I'll, I'm a little, um, you know, <laughs> OCD about these things, but I'm like, no, I'm just going to write this unscripted. And, um, when it was shared, a lot of female colleagues reached out and it really resonated with many female colleagues um, at all levels. So it was a big lesson for me internally is like not to overthink everything and just say it like it is because you're living it, you're experiencing it. So it's it's a very honest um, perspective. And it's what I've experienced is that women generally are not the best negotiator. Um, we are, I, I collectively as a society, this is the first time so many of us are in the workforce. 
So we're still learning. We're just playing catch up to men is, is just my personal perspective. So that that's why I said like, it's like we are in life, we are taught to wait for, to be approached in all kinds of things, uh, but that doesn't work at work. So that's, that's a very important one. So I just want to just mention that I, I think above all, we have to learn to negotiate and influence because uh, society has conditioned us to not do that and step away and wait. Um, so very passionate about that, as you can see. But um, it does impact, uh, it does make me think about diversity and inclusion um, in a much bigger way. Um, I'll, I'll touch on this a little bit. My, my, my thought process on diversity and inclusion started when I was at Target uh, in leadership role. And Target takes diversity and inclusion very seriously. And so I was exposed to a lot of great leaders and how they were thinking about it. And, and I started reading and, and looking at other leaders and what they're saying. And one that's, that really stayed with me is Satya Nadella's statement that when he took over Microsoft, he felt like the workforce didn't represent the society that Microsoft serves. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm loosely quoting him, but that's what I remember reading. And that really stuck with me is like, if, if I am like, that's applicable to anybody. If you are building something and if it isn't representative of the people it serves, how are you ever going to get uh, equity? How are you ever going to be fair? And in AI, as I mentioned, we are, you know, like we are often compared to engineers, but I feel like we're much similar to medical scientists or medical sciences. Life's um, society, the planet are impacted with these kind of automated decisioning. So we have to be extremely intentional about diversity in, in our talent, first of all, just the team construct. Um, so I, I've just, uh, made that you know something that is is consciously done in my team is like const constantly thinking about um, are we bringing diversity of thinking from different backgrounds so the obvious ones obviously gender and race um, uh, and and the the, the the standard metrics but also just thinking about diversity of backgrounds like people coming from different socioeconomic background and different uh, the different parts of the world uh, different kind of educational background, one of the risks that data science has is we can bring in a lot of people with computer science and math, but there are lots of social sciences fields that should be brought into data science because they bring a different perspective. So, um, you know, it, it's uh, it's another one where um, I, I just, I, I'm, I'm a student of diversity and inclusion is what I would say. I've been, I've been paying attention to it and I'm just, uh, trying to think of like, what are the different things we can do? And I feel like collectively, we have a lot long way to go. Uh, it has to be a priority. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it has to be a priority for making sure that our world, as you say, um, what we create looks like the people that we serve. Um, and I'm wondering whether that's one of the things that you would like to achieve if you had a magic wand. So I'm going to give you this magic wand for one wish. Um, so if you had a magic wand to achieve that one wish to achieve responsible AI, what would your wish be? So I'm, I'm a big advocate for human rights, but I also believe that every living thing has rights. And, uh, and therefore, my, my wish is that the AI systems that we design, uh, people like me, people in my community, leaders, um, individual contributors, all of us, that it's designed to truly serve all lives on this planet. Uh, that's how I think about it. So it has to be about humans, but it also has to be about our ecosystem, our planet, uh, 
uh, our lives don't matter if the planet cannot survive. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm sure that Miriam and I fully agree with that perspective. 100%. Thank you. And couldn't have said it better. Thank you. I guess before we close out, you obviously have so much insight and expertise to offer based on the work you've been doing all these years, both in the creation of AI, but also in safeguarding it, ensuring that we're doing this in the way that is inclusive, that does the best good and does the least harm. Um, if you were talking to, I'll let you choose, either a CEO, a politician, and you wanted to say, here's the one thing I ask of you as you go about your work of either creating AI that will impact so many thousands of, tens of thousands, millions of people, or uh, to the politician in the regulations that will be impacting so many people and the companies. Is there uh, guidance you would like to offer one of the, or both of those uh, audiences? So let me unpack that question. So if, if I am like, what could they do? Is that, is that exactly what, what would you ask of them? Something either you've implemented in your own work or something that would have helped you uh, in your work. Yeah, I, I think uh, I, this may be a tall order, but I'll still say it is that, you know, in, in the post Google era, information is available to everybody. Um, and so my, my ask, um, I, I'm going to take the government uh, option in, in this scenario, because I think the CEOs are on that path clearly at Verizon, like, you know, there is there is a lot of awareness. Um, and and I, I've seen that elsewhere as well. But I feel like our government still tends to be playing catch up in even understanding uh, fundamentals of how technology works. Um, and I go back to ignorance is an option in today's world is you have to understand this. It's like, you, I, I challenge uh, leaders all over the world to say, you must understand how a search engine works. You know, you, it's, it's the most valuable co company in the world. Why don't we know why that works? You must understand how, how social media works um, in, in, in a fairly well amount of detail. Uh, and, and you must understand how AI and automation are going to work and change lives, you know? So I, I am asking leaders, world leaders, CEOs, top executives to invest in their own um, learning and understanding and, and not just, just rely on, you know, consultants or advisors. You have to internalize these things because they are going to be very deeply in, ingrained in our lives. I love that. Thank you. I, I hope, uh, they're listening and, and will heed your call. Um, and I love that you say it's not just optional. It, it's it's required. Uh, it sounds like the other side of what we often say, particularly to lawyers who too often don't participate in this work of responsible yes. AI governance, yeah. abstinence is not an option. <laughs> it's, yes, uh, yes. it's all hands on deck. We all are going to be having to play a role in it, either because the liability is coming, the harms could impact us personally or the people that we support. Um, and so I, I love your guidance that um, th this is not a, a nice to do. This is a must do. You must yeah. understand these worlds that will impact you and the systems that are impacting our lives and all the constituents. One thing, one more thing I would say is that, like, imagine regulations that come out of ignorance and fear. That's not going to be good for us. I mean, we're going to stifle innovation. And if you stifle innovation in one part of the world, it goes somewhere else. We know that. It, you can't stop this. So that's why, like, because everybody's focused on regulations, 
regulation has to be grounded in awareness and understanding. It cannot be just grounded in fear and trying to stop something that's uh, that could have a lot of good to society also. Well, this sounds like a perfect place to land this discussion in optimism, avoiding fear, and taking on the possibilities, creating responsible innovation together. So thank you, Magna, so much exactly. for joining us today. This has been wonderful. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Well, Kay, that I think was a really special interview where Magna gave us so much to think about, both um, from her lens at Verizon uh, and also her deep, long commitment to ensuring that AI is inclusive and has a broader mindset of who participates in both the process and the outcomes. What were some of the main takeaways for you? I think, first of all, it was such a joy to actually talk to her. Um, and hear her perspectives. Uh, I think some of the things that come out for me about the fact that, you know, when we're thinking about responsible AI, we shouldn't just be thinking about people. We should also be thinking about the planet. And she specifically referenced human rights. And obviously, by background, I was a human rights lawyer before moving into doing this work. But I uh, I think it's important that we see human rights as including that the planet, looking after the planet, because as she rightly said, without the planet, then there are no humans. So there are no human rights to look after. And so I thought that that was a, a really important piece um, of the way that she thinks. And uh, I was also delighted by the way she was thinking of about inclusivity and um, how she's been talking to young women and women at all levels, in fact, about making sure that they really ask for what they want as opposed to being told what they want or being satisfied with the offer. And whilst that's different, you could say, well, that's not really about responsible AI. I actually think it is about responsible AI because we need more women in the workplace in AI. And we need to ensure that they have a navigable route into this work. I agree. I think there are so many ways that she practiced inclusivity and, and a broad-minded vision in her own articulation of how she goes about her work from the get-go when she says, we are not, we don't have the luck on this market. You know, those who working in AI, the data scientists, the computer scientists, this is not our innovation. This is work that we all do in different ways. This uh, building of algorithms is, is one way to discuss the work uh, and categorize what we do. But really, this using data to build systems is something that is fundamental to so many of our lives and professions. And so even her mindset of, of this is something that we're all participating in. Um, and then towards the end, when she said, and, and because we're all participating in it, ignorance is not an option. We have a responsibility uh, because whether you're a politician someone building the AI, uh, and everyone in between in that process, we really all do have a responsibility. And what does that responsibility include? I mean, I think she was also very helpful in, in giving us her perspective there, which is 
you need to be inclusive and not just because it is the right thing to do and in compliance with the law, which are, are big motivating factors, but you want your AI to be better and you cannot if you don't have enough women and people of color at the table. If you're not also thinking about geography and she talked about social science and, and different disciplines that too often have not been involved in, in, in the AI creation. Um, Whereas I think going forward, more and more people will realize she is really spot on and that will be the key to ensuring that our AI is better uh, and that there's less harm created from this AI. Yeah, definitely. And also, you know, the wide variety of tools that she's building at Horizon and um, how she is trying to think through how she ensures that there's a responsible AI lens, even when they're building many, many, many tools. And so um, I, I think, you know, that she was explaining how she had learned from others. And that's one of the great things that I think both Equal AI and the forum does is bring together people who understand or are further along in their responsible AI journey and others say that there that there is a group of people who are really thinking this through and they have support from one another absolutely i think we both have been inspired by the communities that we're building um it's energizing it's exciting to see those who are newer to the process, what they can learn of the problems they can avoid by talking to the companies who have been through this process, who are in this environment, we've created intentionally a safe space so that they can share some hazards um, instead of letting everyone fall through them, knowing the consequences are too high here. It's not just a market advantage. It's really people's lives at stake. It's impacting people. Um, and so through that lens, fostering a community to share the input but I think it's been equally energizing and exciting to see those who are further along in the process have also learned so much from those at earlier stages um, because they bring this lens of, of a company that is jumping in at a time when the idea of responsible AI is a little more formed and developed. Um, and sometimes even the questions that those companies ask who are in the earlier stages can be really helpful for those other more veteran companies to take a look back, take stock of what they're doing, reassess and, and learn because as you know better than anybody, this is not a, a one and done process. Responsible AI governance has to be as intentional and iterative as the AI that is constantly developing new patterns and learning new, new outcomes. Absolutely. So yeah, I thought it was a really interesting and um and pleasurable experience to be able to talk to her about her work i agree well thank you for another great episode and i'm looking forward to the next one me too subscribe to or download our podcast on spotify apple podcasts google play or wherever you get your podcasts we always welcome your feedback. And if you like the podcast, please rate us or give us a review. To learn more or get involved, visit us at www.equalai.org and www.weforum.org. And a special thanks to NP Agency, without whom this podcast would not be possible. 